Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for drawing us to yourself as we have prayed and confessed our sin to you. Lord, we uh, have just rejoiced in the reality of the assurance of our pardon because of your justifying work upon the cross. And Lord, we've sung to you, uh, the holy God. We have joined the angels in praising the God who is worthy of our worship, the God who has not stayed silent but came to us, incarnated himself for us, died in our place. Oh, this gospel demands our worship. This gospel demands that we come to you and reckon the good things that you have done on our behalf, that we would see ourselves as dead indeed to sin and a much alive to God in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you this morning for drawing us together. We thank you that we can praise you and respond to you in your word. We pray that you would help us, Lord, as we continue on and uh, look to uh, your word in a few moments and as we uh, take up our morning offering as we're giving to you and, Lord, as we celebrate the Lord's table and enjoy fellowship later this afternoon, oh God, you pray that you would go before us and that you would uh, meet us, Lord, um, in uh, that special way, knowing that you indwell us, Lord, that you are working your will in our hearts and our lives. Father, we don't just pray for ourselves. We pray for other churches. We lift up um, other churches in this community. We lift up Blue Ridge Baptist Church, Lord, that you would be with them this morning as they gather together. God, that you would, uh, again, just uh, use them in their uh, community, Lord, to preach the gospel. Father, that you would strengthen them as a church. Lord, that you would provide for them and their leadership. Father, we pray for other churches within the Reformed Baptist Network. We lift up Cornerstone Bible Church out in Ridgecrest, California. Lord, that you would be with them as they meet together in just a few hours. And Lord, as they're uh, behind us in time, they're just waking up. And so, Lord, give them grace as they gather together as a church. Father, we uh, don't forget to pray for the persecuted church. We know we have brothers and sisters around the world that um, are in fear of their lives. And while we know that your church is being persecuted uh, in all places, in one form or the other, uh, we don't have the same physical uh, persecution that some of our brethren have. And so, Father, we lift up the uh, persecuted church in Iran this morning, that you would be uh, with them. Father, that you would continue to um, grow your church there, even though uh, it is um, hostile towards your gospel, the country is, Lord, as you are saving many, Lord, and drawing them to yourself, would you protect them? Lord, would you give them great endurance even when they have to suffer uh, jail or worse punishment for standing for you and sharing your gospel? Would you give them great endurance and courage, Lord, we pray. Father, we lift up those in our world that have been yet not reached by the gospel. We think of the Bushi people, Lord, of Mayotte near Madagascar, um, out in the ocean, Lord, and this people group has yet to have uh, the Bible translated into their language. We pray that you would send missionaries, that you would raise up uh, people to go, 
and to preach the gospel to them, that, Lord, you would save uh, many from that uh, group of people. And, Lord, that you would be glorified in drawing people from every tribe, tongue, and nation uh, to your throne. And we ask that you would work this great work that you have purchased. And, Lord, that uh, your church would, would go in faith. Father, we pray for troubled places around our world. We think of uh, Sudan and uh, Ethiopia. We think about the war in Ukraine. We pray for the believers there that you would strengthen them. Uh, we pray for the refugees in very uh, many places, Lord, that are fleeing these circumstances, Lord, that you would provide for them, that you would help them to know that you are their, um, their God and that they're, you're caring for them, that you would uh, spread the gospel through your church there. And, Lord, that many would come to know you. Father, we lift up our military. We thank you for them as they put in long hours away from home, that you would strengthen them, uh, cause them to endure. We lift up those who are in military chaplaincy, Lord, that you give them great wisdom as they seek to minister to our troops. Father, we pray for those that are grieving. Lord, we think of the Schwartz family, Lord, and the loss of Kelsey yesterday to cancer. Oh, God, would you strengthen them. Truly, Lord, you give and take away. And Lord, at the same time, we pray, Lord, for um, the Cordes as well as they struggle with cancer. We pray for John's um, esophageal cancer, Lord, and his treatment that you give him great uh, strength. Father, for Christina Grabeel and her cancer treatment as well. Father, we thank you for the healing that you're continuing to bring towards uh, Kitty, Lord, as she heals, um, her clavicle heals, Lord. It's been a long process. I pray that you give her grace and strength. Father, we rejoice uh, at uh, Ellie and John coming very close to their due date, and we pray for strength for Ellie, Lord, as she um, brings a, this wonderful child into the world. Lord, we pray that there would be a very smooth uh, delivery, uh, Lord, that there would be no complications. We pray for the medical staff. We pray that John and Ellie would not be anxious, Lord, but you would give them great wisdom. And, Lord, help us as a church to lift them up and be here for them. Lift up Sarah as well, Lord, as she's with child. And, Lord, that you would continue to bless her pregnancy. And, Lord, give her strength. Father, we uh, don't forget to pray for Dean Mundy as well, Lord, as he uh, battles Bell's palsy. Lord, that you would bring healing there, that he would be able to get back to work. We lift um, Dot and the family to you and just pray that you would show grace there. Father, we uh, continue to lift up our church plant down in Wilkesboro. We thank you for Pastor Tim and continuing to bring healing to his foot and giving him physical endurance in this very exhausting season. We pray that you give him boldness, Lord, as he preaches your word uh, this morning. Father, that you would uh, encourage him, that you would strengthen him. Lord, that you would give wisdom as they do an outreach to, uh, uh, as a back-to-school uh, outreach, Lord, that you would uh, bring many families into their midst that they're able to make contacts with and share the gospel with. And we pray you bring fruit from that as they uh, trust you. Father, we ask that you would continue to show your grace upon us as a congregation, that you would raise up leadership. We thank you for uh, our deacons and their constant uh, labors uh, for this body. Uh, we thank you for all that is done behind the scenes and those who are uh, just serving in so many capacities, Lord, that you would continue to raise up more. We thank you for bringing uh, new uh, families to this church, and we, we thank you for uh, that 
uh, growth, Lord. We thank you for the Bradshaws joining last week. And Lord, just what you're continuing to do in our midst. Now, Lord, as we turn to your word, would you help us? Oh God, we ask that you would be glorified not just in the reading and preaching of your word, but obedience to it as we see it before our very eyes. May we not be just hearers, but doers as well. We ask your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Trust each of you are doing well and that your summer is going well. It's a little bit humid in here this morning, and that uh, tells me that it's midsummer. And so when the sweat is rolling down your back, we can uh, be thankful for those uh, days in January when we have 50 mile an hour winds and bitter winds that we're trying to protect ourselves from uh, in this uh, building. So we're, we're grateful to God for, for, the, for the seasons that he gives. Would you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19? Genesis chapter 19. I applaud uh, our visitors in the last few weeks of coming to a time where we're walking through the book of Genesis where literally there's hellfire and brimstone falling from heaven, and yet uh, we are uh, gathering together to really look at God's Word and see the context of it. It's certainly been uh, tough for us to study through this, but we praise God for His Word. And so would you stand with me as we read uh, the passage for this morning, Genesis chapter 19, starting uh, in verse 23, and we will read through verse 29. This is God's holy word. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, he remembered Abraham. And he sent out Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. This ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Perhaps the name Mary Clark Gaines may not ring a bell for you. She lived over a century ago, but her name was the plaintiff on one of the longest court proceedings in U.S. history. The fight was ultimately over an enormous inheritance that she received, and there were other claims to that inheritance. And it took over 60 years to bring a judgment in her case for ultimately for the family to finally settle these these matters. In fact, the um, U.S. Supreme Court said, quote, that it was the most remarkable of all the records in U.S. history. 
in the fact that it took so long to bring justice in what seemed to be a very simple case. Delayed justice. It's something the scriptures speak about very clearly, that God in his holy character must and does bring justice. In fact, it's something that is very common for us to be speaking about these days as we turn on the news and many speak of injustice in the opposite way, in ways that people feel they have been wrong, wronged in some way, form, or fashion. Justice is something that is seated and has its source in the very throne of God. That God is God and no one else is. His claim upon his holy and righteous right as God to judge should cause us great soberness of spirit. But as we see not only in our, to, our world today, but also in the time of Abraham and Lot, we see very little attention being given to this great God. In fact, it had been just a few hundred years since the global flood that God had reigned upon the earth because the violence of men was great. And right here we see the great mercy of God working in the text of Genesis from walking through the life of Noah, showing mercy upon him in his generation, and then now that he goes from dealing with the world to dealing with an individual. And he calls Abraham out as we've been studying over the last several weeks. Abraham, a recipient of God's grace and mercy, a recipient not on his own doing, that the scriptures are very clear that it was accounted to him as righteous because he believed God that God was going to take him out of Ur of the Chaldees and give him a land that would eventually be flowing with milk and honey. The record of Genesis records many different problems while this promise has been laid out. There's a problem with people that are dwelling in the land. There's a problem with the warring kings. There's a problem with Abraham himself as he's being very nervous about how he's interacting with these people groups as we'll look at in chapter 19 and 20 as well. There was many trials and tribulations that would cause him to doubt the promise that God had given. Even Sarah, we see, was laughing when it was announced that she would truly conceive and that their fleshly plan of bringing offspring through Hagar had failed. The great text of Genesis is laying out for us really in a small format what the scriptures preach that there is a holy God that does demand justice and will bring justice. But right in the midst of that, we see his amazing mercy and compassion on those whom he saves. And as we look at this text, that is the two defining points that we want to look at this morning. God's great justice, as we look at verse 20. Two and following, and God's great mercy are both very strong in this passage. So let's take a look. Notice it says in verse 23, as we ended last week, the very 
heart-wrenching words that we read earlier in chapter 19. We come here to verse 23, and it says that the sun had risen on the earth. Context, remember, it was in the midst of the evening that these two angels, these visitors, had come to Sodom and found refuge in Lot's home. We saw the uh, delaying of Lot we see the deliverance of Lot, but notice that they're just now leaving the plain as the sun rises. If you recall, Lot made some last-minute requests to go to Zoar rather than to the mountains, and they grant his request. I think what should be moving to us in a text like this, as we saw in miniature form last week, is that God always saves his people. God always delivers the righteous. As we looked at the wrestlings of Lot, we know that the scriptures tell us that Lot was righteous. This is why heavenly celestial beings were sent to the city for two purposes. One, to bring judgment upon the uh, land of Sodom and Gomorrah, but to also deliver Lot. And not either of those were going to be undealt with. Both of them were going to be fulfilled absolutely and completely. And so the call to get out of Sodom. And it's in this context that when Lot had made it, just as the angels had said, that they cannot bring judgment until he arrives, the same God that put the world in motion and watches the sun rise each day as he commanded, it is at this point that God brings the promised judgment. Look at verse 24. The Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. It's one of those verses that you read in Scripture and you do one of two things. You start reading faster because it's uncomfortable to read or you're completely in awe of the majesty and holiness of God. And if we tend to look at this text and think that we are not deserving of that, look at Lot's conversation earlier in chapter 19. Lot barely made it out. He was so comfortable in this land that he almost had the same judgment as these that were with him. It was as if he was feeling the very flames upon his back as he's fleeing this land. And church, the reality of this for us as his people is that while we know that judgment is coming and we don't yet know the hour or the day, we know that it's coming. And we know that Lot had reasoned with them, calling them to repentance. But we also know the state of the city as even his own sons-in-law thought he was jesting when he told them to flee for their lives. 
Perhaps you think that way when you're sharing the gospel and you're moved to tears over your loved ones or your friends that don't know Jesus and you've sought to put out death and life before them. You've sought to explain the gospel. You've shed tears that they would repent and yet it's as if the fire we can feel on our back and yet they have no knowledge of it. And so the Lord destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. And he did this out of heaven. Often we think that God just delivers this, but reminding you of the text of Scripture that many warnings had been given. In fact, the text shows us how intimately God is involved in this, that he sent personal emissaries to these towns, God himself appearing before Abraham and warning him of these things. And then as the language of chapter 18, that he was going to go down and see if this outcry that came to me, if it is what I have heard. If not, I will know. And so it says in verse 25 that God overthrew those cities and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. Perhaps there's nothing more uncomfortable for us as God's people, knowing from the great burden of sin that we have been delivered from, to not only be announcers of God's coming judgment, but the very uncomfortable nature that we can sometimes feel when we have to announce the very holiness of God. But that uncomfortableness, like Lot, is not something that we need to be afraid of. It's not something that we ought to just put aside, but we ought to consider it and deal with it because it reveals something about our true understanding of God and his holy character. That God, being a just God, must punish sin. And so the question from the text goes, well, why is it that he punishes Sodom and Gomorrah and not the other Canaanite cities at the same time? After all, wouldn't that have been an easier ex excavation project for the Holy Land? That he would just burn them all up and then they could now go and plant uh, the fertile fields in the wake of such a judgment? Well, the context of Scripture, I think we tend to misunderstand the great kindness of God, the mercy and long-suffering that God has with a sinful world that has rejected him. At the same time, he's accomplishing his sovereign purposes of redemption. Redemption, the very theme that we've been looking at through all of Genesis that records, goes all the way through the New Testament and on into the celestial city that we will all be experiencing together at the greatness of the redemption of our God. And yet we see here a picture of God's holy and just wrath. As we consider such things, as this is sobering to us, we also know that this is very small in comparison to the great judgment coming upon the world. As one author said, it's a mere campfire compared to the lake of fire 
that awaits the devil and his angels and all who fight against the kingdom of God and his Christ. We see here that as he thoroughly brings judgment in verse 25, that there's another note given to us in verse 26 that should grieve our hearts as we consider the in-depth part of the hearts of both Lot and his family in the midst of such a sinful place. It says, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Often I see the context of such Old Testament scriptures, it's like the New Testament comes off the page as we're reading it. Perhaps you hear the Apostle Paul's voice that you have been, who have been delivered from sin, shall we live any longer there in it? When we consider the great deliverance of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf, are we, like Lot's wife, still having our anchors and our passions and our affections for the things of this world? Perhaps we hear the Apostle Paul to the Colossians when he says, set your mind on things above, not on the things on this earth. And this is exactly what Lot's wife was doing. She was holding on to those things while she was in the process of being delivered. Judgment came upon her as she identified more with what she had in this life rather than looking to a heavenly kingdom that Hebrews tells us that Abraham had grasped. Before we look at this and do not see ourselves, I think it wise for us, the Holy Spirit is bringing great application to us from Lot and his wife's perspective. Are you, dear saints, holding on to the things of this world that will be pried from your grasp? Do we realize the great weight that God indeed has numbered our days? That we, unless we fly to him, will be swept up in the judgment of the world that today is the day of salvation. There is not another chance. And for those who have had what they see as a second chance, it is but the Lord's mercy that he offers it yet again. And so while you may not feel the heat on your back, a text like this reminds us of the great wrath that is to come, the great doctrine of eternal damnation and judgment is not a popular message today. Why? Because we think we ought to uh, try to grab, grab those that are not part of the church and make them feel welcome, but the very purpose of sharing the gospel with them is this great truth that God is a wrathful and holy God against sin. And sin cannot and he will not turn a blind eye to it. And this is why the gospel is so important. Because the very wrath and holiness of God together, that justice that comes upon sinful man, is the very context of his great mercy. You cannot grasp the love of God without the judgment and holiness of God. You don't understand justification if you don't understand his holiness. And so this trite saying that we should 
love the sinner but, or, and, and hate the sin. And while that is nice, we can't ignore the sin. It's causing them the hell, fire, and brimstone to come upon their souls one day. And so it's an unloving thing to not give the warning. But yes, dear saints, we must not forget to share the mercy of God as well. And that they can grasp that because anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we see before us in this text that the greatest need of mankind is to be justified before the living God. And Lot's wife looked back. Dear saints, do you find your soul looking back when God has called you onward towards the celestial city? Are you comfortable in the things of this life? When God is prying them away, are you willingly opening your hand and being a living sacrifice, or is he having to tear your hands away from those things? May God have mercy on all of us to let go and trust him and flee to the mountains. And so we see in verse 27, our dear patriarch of faith, Abraham. In fact, it's moving as we consider what Abraham knew what was coming. As we looked at in chapter 18, he pled with the Lord. And we know that Abraham knew of how terrible that place was because he started at 50. And perhaps there was 50 righteous and God said he would spare it. And then 45, and then 30, there's a pleading of, of, of just the mercy of God, and God assures that he will spare it if there are that many, all the way down to 10. It's moving in the text to think that Lot's wife didn't make it. We'll consider, even considering Lot's mental state in following passages, but Lot and his daughters came out. In fact, perhaps they would not have been delivered, as the text says earlier in chapter 19, unless the angels had grabbed them by the hand. Church, this is what it means to be saved. It's a picture of our own flesh. None of us can find our way to salvation. God delivers us in his great mercy. He takes our hand and he plucks us out of the fire. And while we may interpret it as there's been a change of heart and regeneration, but just like a child that takes their first breath doesn't remember the moment before, God has acted in Christ Jesus in delivering us and taking us by his dear hand. And so the promises that have been given to Abraham, we now see that the author Moses brings us back to the attention on Abraham here. In the text, as we've been looking at Lot and these angels uh, in, as almost a, uh, an interruption from what the text was saying in chapter 18. And so in verse 27, it says that Abraham went early in the morning to the place that he had stood before the Lord. Remember, he was pleading with the Lord concerning these things. And then uh, the angels go on. In verse 28, you can almost feel the sigh that possibly came from Abram's mouth as he said, or as the word says that he looked down upon Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke 
of a furnace. I don't know if you've seen great destruction, but uh, growing up in California, I uh, was accustomed to seeing the wildfires on the hills. And in the early 90s, uh, one of the uh, major wildfires in Southern California hit multiple hills in uh, the vicinity of our home. And I remember going to bed and my parents said they would keep listening to the news and to local authorities. But I remember seeing the orange glow out of all sides of our house. And we had a two-story house and I would look out and I remember seeing the glow and wondering would the fire hit our street as well? Would we escape the flames as we had been watching on the news? It was consuming so many houses around our area. And by God's grace, it didn't hit our home. But I remember that fear in my heart, seeing the, the flames that were uh, coming around uh, our town. And perhaps we see here the great weight that Abraham is seeing as the judgment of God is delivered in a very just and holy way. But how Abram is also seeing the great deliverance at the same time of what God has done for himself, his family, and his nephew, Lot. And the place that he had stood before the Lord is where he notices that judgment has come. And the results of the very burning wrath of God have come upon this uh, destructed city. In fact, many scholars today think that the south part of the Dead Sea is still a result of such judgment where there is very little fertile area to grow things. And so we see that Moses moves our attention from that moment and the great understanding of God's mercy, but also God's wrath, that it says in verse 29, and so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. I think there's some great applications to us. We've already spoke of understanding the great justice of God and the great uh, judgment of God on sin, and we have tasted a little bit of what God's great mercy has been upon Abraham and upon Lot. But notice here the very context of God's covenant with Abraham is mentioned as God remembers Abraham, the father of the living. And it's yet that these, this great promised son is yet to be born that God remembers Abraham. And so we see God's great kindness to those who have been objects of his mercy. It should breed a great thanksgiving as his people that we have been recipients of his great kindness and love. A love that has gone into the fires for us and on our behalf and has taken God's wrath upon us for his glory and our good. And so we see a great truth here that God always delivers his people completely. 
I just want to encourage you, those that are struggling in their faith, the Lord knows. The Lord knows if you're tempted like Lot and his wife to hang on to the things of this world, and yet God in his faithfulness is helping you let go. We see God's great complete redemption in the fact that he is delivering us, not just from our sin in this life, but ultimately setting our uh, eyes on that which is to be. That is what God has granted to us in Christ, as the scriptures say, the innumerable inheritance of the saints the great glories of what we shall be. And I think a text like this reminds us that oftentimes we think too small. We think of the mere uh, deliverance from this world, and we think about the deliverance from sin, but we often do not think about the pleasure of our souls compared to the pleasure that we're tempted by on a daily basis. That God and the joy that is found in knowing him is something that will never pass away and will never fade. He is a treasure that we will continue to unpack into the eons of eternity. That's how big our God is. And so if we think of even heaven as a place where we have just made it, rather than that God has delivered us to enjoy him forever, as the great confessions say, we think small of this gospel. How awesome is it when we are tempted by our sin if we have this thought that a thousand joys await us in the presence of Christ one day. And those in a way are being sacrificed. The, the joys of all those uh, intimacies when we partake and hang on to our own sin. Be reminded, dear brethren, that God has delivered you in a very strong way and he will continue to deliver you until he comes again or you go to be with him. Be assured of his great salvation if you are looking to him. But the warning from the text also is to those who are running and fleeing from him that today is that day of salvation. You are able to flee from him. There is a messenger that's greater than angels that has come before us as the book of Hebrews tells us that in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. And he this morning is wanting to take you by the hand and deliver you not just from the circumstances of your life, not just from the frustrations of these petty trials, but eternally deliver you forever and completely. The question is, have you turned to him in faith and repentance? Have you left Sodom? Oh, that we would be thankful people. Oh, that we would understand and taste the sweetness of God's salvation to us in Christ, which we will in just a few moments as we go to his table. What a great backdrop of his great mercy, but his great judgment. Finally, from this text, dear saints, I would encourage us as we consider what God's great covenant with Abraham is and was looking to the future, even as it should move us as they were awaiting a promised son, that God in Christ 
saved us while we were yet sinners. He sent his only son. And as Abraham looked by faith to what would be, so we look by faith backwards to what is. And how important it is for us to be, weary, uh, be mindful of the weariness of our own flesh, the fickleness of our own hearts, and embrace the great glories of the gospel that are presented to us in a text like this. And while God shows his mercy upon the unrighteous, and while it's biblical for us to cry out, God, come quickly, bring judgment, we pray, Come, take your people. At the same time, the call of the gospel and the call to the church to go and make disciples remains. And so while our hearts seem to be torn in the midst of both truths, that while God, we're crying out for justice and judgment, at the same time we're saying, oh God, like the heart of Abraham, have mercy upon more. But a day will come, church, where our Lord will break through the sky and we will be with him again and judgment will come to this world and to final judgment to the uh, devil and his angels. But until that day, may the great kindness and love of God in our hearts remind us of the great judgment to come and urge us to take with great urgency the gospel to places that have never heard, but also that we would go deep to be thankful for the God who has delivered us from Sodom. Let's pray. Oh God, what an amazing text of Scripture. It's horrific for us to read such a text, to think about your just and holy wrath, but also your redemptive ends in the life of believers. And while that should cause great soberness, it should cause great comfort because fire shall not touch us. As the Apostle Paul reminds the Romans that if these things are true, who, what can be formed against us? As you, Lord Jesus, said that you will be with us even to the end of the age. Even as you told Tyre and Sidon that if the works that were done in them had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's one here listening to this message that has never turned and fled from the wrath to come, that you would save them, Lord. That they would look to you and they would find a respite for their souls a great regeneration that cannot be explained in human terms, but a com full, complete salvation. Father, I pray for us as believers that we would not grasp at the things of this life, the treasures that make this seem like home. I pray that we would not be like Lot's wife as the scriptures actually exhort us to not be like Lot's wife that looked back. Father, I pray that you would bring great comfort to our hearts that you are good and that you are glorified just as much in the death of the wicked as in the salvation of the righteous. Both are true. And that humbles us.
to have a clear view of who you are as God. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves. We pray for your grace as we come to your table in a few moments that you would help us to do that with great soberness of spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. we come to the Lord's table, it's a great reminder as we come to partake, to remember 